Welcome to the Pinch to Zoom podcast, the show where we zoom in on the latest tech news, products, and trends. I'm Stetson. I'm Gabe. And in this episode, we're talking Sony A7S 3 and Canon EOS R5, the two hottest cameras in the camera tech world right now. Everyone is excited about these. Gabe, are you excited about these? Yeah, and one of those cameras is a lot hotter than the other, we'll just say. Physically. That is true. We'll get to that in a bit. Uh, but first, we have, of course, our quick news segment, and then Gabe is doing our Go review, where he's reviewing the A7 III. So yeah, let's just jump right into quick news. Gabe, roll that intro. Quick news. Quick news. Welcome to Quick News, where we talk about what's new, what's news, and what could be new in the world of tech. It is, you know, starting to cool down a little bit this week. Honestly, I think it mainly just feels like that because we had two bonus episodes covering what would be the world-shattering and world-changing A7S 3 and the EOS R5 and R6, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So there's not that much else to talk about, but there still is a good amount. So that's why we have quick news, and that's why it always goes on longer than what should be quick. So first up for new products, we actually have another mirrorless camera. Now, what? Yeah, Gabe, what? I thought we already covered all the major mirrorless cameras that just came out. Well, we did actually, but this, even though it's a budget camera, this could be potentially more major than any of those other releases. So we covered Canon, we covered Sony, this came from Nikon, and this was their budget Z5 or Z5 mirrorless camera. Now it's actually very exciting because getting a full frame camera for $1,400, which is the price of this camera, is a pretty good deal. That's an excellent deal. I think the a7 III I got launched for $2,000. So to get it for sub $2,000, phenomenal. And the fact that this camera isn't just, you know, there's the EOS RP, right? That's the Canon's full-frame mirrorless camera that's relatively Well, isn't it, isn't it just the R? Or is it the RP that's the, for the astrophotography, right? No, the RP is their cheap one, the RA is their astrophotography one. Oh, okay, right, right, right. Yeah. So the RP is very limited from Canon. I think that one starts around 1200 to 1300, but yeah, extreme limitations, huge crop in. I don't even think it really records 4K video or something. It's it, it's a nice, yeah, yeah, it's a budget camera, but it's not very good. The Nikon Z5 is really impressive. So 24.3 megapixel sensor, 4K 30 FPS video, and despite the cheap price, you're gonna get pro features like dual SD card slots, focus peaking with zebra stripes for overexposure and a tilting touchscreen. Those are all really impressive specs from Nikon in the Z5. Exactly. And so the, for people starting out, uh, you know, and wanting to get that full frame experience, this is really a very good option, competes competitively with Canon's, what is it, the 6D Mark II, their DSLR, that's their budget friendly one. And with $1,700, you know, if you want to go a little further, you get a lens with it that's a 24 to 50. Uh, it's one of the more compact and short uh, full-frame mirrorless camera lenses out there. And yeah, this is a great option. We'll start shipping the end of August, so keep an eye out for that. Next up, because that's really all, I, there couldn't be much more camera news, but next up for new products, we have Aperture launching uh, the Nova P300C. And this, for people who don't know about Aperture, they're a very popular light company. Uh, they make uh, your, what is it, MRC RGB 
Yeah, the Aperture MC RGB WW LED light. They do. They need to get. They need to get better. They need to get better with their naming. Their naming scheme does actually make sense when you look at it. Like for example, the C at the end of P300C means that it's a color light and is able to do RGB colors. But they're kind of all over the place, and they just have way too many numbers in it. But basically, this light, once you get past the name of it, is a what they call a soft box light, and it or a soft light panel. So it's a square or actually more of a rectangular shape and it can do any rgb ww color so it's literally any color you can think of you can dial in it has very bright it's 900 sorry 9000 lux at one meter Ooh. and yeah this is really a lot of people you'll see probably using this in like permanent studio setups or like on attached to ceilings and stuff uh stu- like p- light panels are very popular in that setting because you don't have to put umbrellas on them. You don't have to put light modifiers really on them necessarily. But you can attach like so many different light modifiers to this one. And it's really, it looks very good. It's $1,700, $1, sorry. Whoa. So not cheap again. That This is just one light panel? Yeah, but I've seen a lot of people posting about this, talking about the A7S III, is that that's a $3,500 or $3,800 camera. You know, for that price, you could get two of these like brand new lights and keep shooting with your a7 III or whatever you're currently shooting on and get really good looking footage because lighting is a huge aspect of the video quality it's so true lighting makes it makes the camera to to a large degree and you add in some great quality audio you've got a really good setup without needing a new camera at all yep and these also work with that situs link app that aperture has so if you have a couple of those tiny little uh mrc like god i, I stumble just over that. mc 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 aperture RGB lights, or maybe one of their um, light storm, uh, you know, single or, point or any source, aperture light or really. any aperture of the new ones. You can, you know, all control all of them from your phone and, you know, program it. Yeah, it's a great setup. I can't wait to get into the aperture ecosystem. I'm just waiting for them to release those little smart bulbs. Uh, we'll see if that actually ever happens. Now, finally, last little quick thing is something that Stetson put in the dock, and I just will mention that because I don't think it's a very big thing, but Manfrotto launched its first camera gimbals, and I personally, Stetson, why do you think this is a big deal? Well, I think it's interesting because it's another gimbal in the gimbal space from Manfrotto, which is a largely known tripod company, typically associated with high quality, so I, I would figure their gimbals would be pretty decent. Well, it, I, I'll agree. It's, it's a nice thing to see is someone or some big camera gear company putting their name on some gimbals. And I say putting their name on some gimbals. Wait a minute. Because, what does that mean? Yeah, exactly. Because going over and looking, they launched two gimbals. They, they call it the Manfrotto Gimbal 22 or 220 and the Manfrotto Gimbal 460. Great names, and, as yeah. always in the camera oh. world. Incredibly named. Couldn't think of a better name myself. <laughs> I could think of a thousand better names, in fact. <laughs> So going over to look at them on BNH's site or the different uh, press releases that are out there, I started to notice, hmm, I think I've seen that gimbal before. Uh, I think I was actually sent it for free by a company last year, a company named Feiyutech, a Chinese company. And while I can't confirm anywhere, because it doesn't seem to be reported by any you know news sites or Manfredo themselves, that this is a repackaged version of the Feiyutech AK4500 and I, the the 220 would be a different Feotech gimbal, but it it looks so much so that I'd have to almost guarantee that it is. 
and my bet is that because Favitech's a Chinese company, right? Manfredo probably, being, they probably weren't able to bre- uh, branch into the U.S. market. Yeah. So is that what you're thinking? Well, and then I looked on Manfredo's site, and there it looks like they're actually being the U.S. distributor for Feutech is what oh, it looks like, and they wow. may even be trying to acquire them because Feutech is owned. I mean, sorry, Manfredo is owned by this company called the Vitek Group, which owns Joby and Gitzo and a bunch of different brands, even Serp, the camera slider brand. Uh, they own a bunch of different camera gear brands, so I wouldn't put it past them that they're trying to acquire Feutech. And, or at least, you know, working a partnership out. And this is one of the steps of that. So it's a, it, it's still a very good gimbal. I will attest from using it. So I guess I can give my review here right here. It's a very good gimbal, affordably priced and has, you know, it's as it's a, it, it is a brand name. Now I was going to say it wasn't a brand name with Feutech, but it has what you usually get is you get for a, you know, comparable price. You get really good specs compared to like a DJI or a Zyun. So I really liked it. However, the app experience wasn't too great, very polished, and it just overall, you know, wasn't as good as DJI or Zion products in my experience. But, sure. Well, yeah. Gabe, thank you for the new products. Let's dive into some news. First of all, you're probably hearing a lot about TikTok right now. There's a bunch of news circulating. Microsoft is actually in talks to potentially buy TikTok. TikTok is a platform where viewers dance or lip sync to songs or do any creative videos Jeez. they want. And okay. well, the, the fact that you, you said that's what users do on TikTok. Okay, Boomer, get out of here. <laughs> well, I mean, I just, yeah, I guess everyone knows. But um, really, what's interesting is TikTok has acquired so many eyeballs that now you have big companies like Microsoft wanting to take them over. And with the talks of TikTok potentially being banned in the United States, Microsoft taking ownership of the U.S. operations could allow the TikTok app to still survive in the u.s marketplace yeah this this could be actually official by the time we release this podcast it seems to be moving very fast because trump says he wants to force ByteDance to sell the u.s uh arm of tiktok off to a u.s company basically we'll have to wait and see what happens and what unfolds speaking of social media sites uh i something i found interesting is that tencent is now the world's most valuable social media company and tencent of course is huge in china with all their users there I've i've been telling you you should buy some of that stock yeah, I actually, I think I took your advice. I probably own like $20 worth it um, with Robinhood. Something. Um, yeah, something to get started there. Uh, I think we're going to dive into some phone news now. Uh, first up, iPhone 12 has officially been pushed back to October. Unusual for Apple to make official announcements like this, but they have stated with everything going on in the world uh, that this particular iPhone release will be a month later. Normally, they come out in September. This year, they're coming out in October. And some other exciting phone news. This is from the manufacturing side of things. So many smartphones include Corning's Gorilla Glass. This is very tough, scratch-resistant, and shatter-resistant glass. And Corning has just announced their new version called Gorilla Glass Victus. And this could potentially let your phone survive a six-foot drop along with improved scratch resistance. What many people don't know is Gorilla Glass 3 Uh, basically was the best scratch resistance the company offered because with iterations to four, five, and six, they focused on drop and shatter resistance. Now with Gorilla Glass Victus, your phone can, it has two times the scratch resistance of Gorilla Glass 6. And again, your phone can survive up to a six and a half foot drop, which is great to see. 
On a similar, so if, I, I, so if I drop it from my head height, I'll be yeah, fine. Yeah, Gabe, you're going to be fine. Finally, you know, all those times yeah. you're on your phone and boom, it just flies out of your hands on your phone call. Happens a lot, surprisingly. It's the ground. You're going to be A-OK. The other big thing uh, that we're going to be seeing deployed in phones soon is Qualcomm has developed Quick Charge 5. This is new charging technology that can charge your phone up to 50%, so from dead to 50% in five minutes. Let that sink in. Dead to 50% in five minutes and to 100% in under 15 minutes. The way it's doing this is basically Qualcomm is making three or multiple batteries inside of one battery so it can charge those simultaneously. It's using up to 45 watt charging to achieve this. So that is kind of the phone news in the cell phone world that I cover. I just wanted to mention that the Sprint brand has officially shut down. We're recording this on Sunday, August 2nd, and uh, Sprint's gone. Sprint Do website. Mo- moment of silence or no? Uh, I don't. Worth it? Does Sprint need silence? I no. mean, maybe if the call drops. Yeah, that's the only silence you get. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, Sprint.com redirects to T-Mobile's website now, of course, with the Sprint-T-Mobile merger. Google Stadia is testing speeds and gaming performance on 4G and 5G connectivity. You bet there's going to be lag there. Um, and some other Google news is that Google is now offering Google One as free to all Google users. This is Google's backup solution, I guess you could say. So for Android phones, it'll back up your phone. On iOS, it'll give you the option to back up contacts and calendars uh, for free up to the 15 gigs of included storage with your Google account. And I guess the last thing I want to mention is Spotify premium users now have an option to host a listening party uh, for up to five friends, even if they live far away. So you can enjoy your tunes together. And I think, speaking of phones, as was in the news, we have a few rumors to touch on related to phones as well. Yeah, there's been a lot of rumors, I feel like, in the past kind of month in general. <laughs> it really, ever since a new phone comes out, that's when the rumors start for the I mean, next I just heard phone. some rumors about the A7S4 that sound really, no. But I mean, <laughs> in general, there's been a lot of rumors this July, I feel like, because a good amount of companies seemingly have pushed back their spring releases to the fall. And so rumors that we would have been getting in, you know, uh, early April and May, and then for like a May or June release, we're now getting now. And then all the fall releases as well that were going to come out in the fall anyways, we're also getting those rumors. So there's a lot of rumors coming out. You know, I've heard stuff about DJI's Osmo Pocket 3 or um, or Osmo Pocket 2 and their Osmo Mobile 4. You know, there's more DJI rumors about their Mavic 3, the GH6. I've heard several rumors on that. Ooh. But there's not a lot of stuff sticking to the wall is the problem. The stuff we do have sticking to the wall is a Pixel rumor. That is such, it's, this is the last day we'll talk about it as a rumor. In fact, by the time it gets to the, probably the time that you're listening to this, it won't be a rumor anymore, right? It'll be facts, straight facts. Yeah, this is the Pixel 4a release, which will be on August 3rd. And we pretty much already know everything about this phone. This is going to be a $350 phone, which is incredible. Yeah. Under, undercutting the iPhone SE. So iPhone SE 399. Pixel 4a eventually eventually they'll pay you to get a phone that would be great yeah google we need your data we will pay you to use this phone honestly that's that's probably not far off uh pretty close to being the truth but yeah this is going to be a 350 dollars phone it will obviously not have the same specs as the four right that's kind of what 
you know, the A indicates it's a budget version, but what are we going to see for specs on it? Yeah, so you're looking at rumored Snapdragon 730G, 6 gigs of RAM and 128 gigs of internal storage. Interestingly, there is no Pixel 4a XL, just the smaller version, and that's because it's rumored uh, that there will be a larger version with 5G announced this fall. So we already had a Pixel 5G teaser, and the leaked image appears to show what looks like a Pixel 5 next to a Pixel 4a 5G. So a larger Pixel 4a that does support a 5G band. I, I still think it's going to be so weird to release a Pixel 4a 5G alongside a Pixel 5. Well, it'll be kind of like a budget 5G option, which I think Google will need. And but they should just call it the the 5a. The 5a. 5a 5g. I don't well, know. It's, I, it yeah. everything gets confusing. Names don't seem to make sense. They should just no. start at a number and count. I don't. You know what? It doesn't matter. We'll just call it the, add the year is what they should really do. I'm. I, yeah, I like Galaxy S20 kind of did that, and so I hope we see the S2021 or something next year. We'll see. No, they're gonna get off track somehow. Sure. You just know it. They'll skip. They'll skip a nine. Everyone skips nine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that that's our quick news segment. Now we're getting into go review. Go review is our segment where we assign each other an item, product, or service to go out in the re- in the re- world and review it and come back and share our thoughts and opinions on it. On the last episode, I asked Gabe to review the Sony A7 III because it tied in nicely with our camera segment and focus for this episode. Uh, so Gabe. How is your go review? What do you have to share with us? So I have been using the Sony a7 III for about almost not quite a year, nine months now. Wow, you got so, it that early? No, I'm kidding. Like, a7, did I say S3? No, no, no. <laughs> no, you said. I, I'm so don't don't scare me like that. There's okay. so many. The names are so similar. I've I will likely several times say the wrong name when I mean a different Sony camera. But yes, anyways, the A7 III, I actually didn't get it that early because it came out, it was released in February 2018. It's about two year, two plus year old camera now. And I got it for $1,798. It was originally $2,000, so it's come down a little in price. So I guess I'm glad I waited. And basically, yeah, this camera is Sony's budget camera or budget full frame mirrorless camera. That's what they marketed it as. However, it's kind of fit in this weird spot over the past kind of two years or so, where it's really been their go-to for A7S II users looking for a more modern camera. And I also have the A7S II here, still haven't sold off that camera body. And it, gosh, it looks so old in comparison. This is a 2015 camera. But basically what I realized when looking at these is there's kind of been this progression in the mirrorless camera space where kind of pre-2015, you had what I'd call Gen 1 mirrorless cameras. We had the GH3, you had the Sony a7 II, the a7S1, I think the a7R1 as well. I think Fuji might have had a camera in that space, but really it was limited to basically two companies. And the specs were, you know, pretty decent. You had them dabbling in 4K a little bit, but mostly overheating when they tried to do so. And they had pretty bad battery life. And they honestly looked pretty pretty awful compared to DSLRs. Like autofocus was slow and everything like that. It was, you know, people were trying mirrorless cameras because they wanted something new, but generally most people were sticking with DSLRs. Then with the release in 2015 of the Sony a7S II, 
you really got your Gen 2 of mirrorless cameras. So that was, you had 4K video was a standard. You had autofocus was definitely improved, but not quite there. And you had this huge ISO range where it was just blowing, you know, the A7, I mean, sorry, the DSLRs off the charts. And like, they couldn't compare. And, and however, you still did have, have a lot of EVF lag when you're looking through the viewfinder and battery life still is not very good. So the so why I'm going through this is I'm basically trying to put into frame that, oh, no pun intended, that the Sony a7 III was at the end of this Gen 2 of mirrorless cameras. And the three cameras I'd kind of put it in its league uh, or compare it to most are the EOS R and the Sony Z6, or sorry, now the Nikon Z6. Those are kind of three cameras that all came out in 2018. You had the Sony came out first in February. Uh, the Canon EOS R came out in around July. And then Nikon dropped its Z6 or Z6 in November. And those are all similar similar price range of around $2,000 or so, depending on how, if they're on discount and such. And they're all comparable in some way. But what you can see from the beginning of 2018, which is kind of cool, the end is really the progression of going from a Gen 2 mirrorless cameras to the start of Gen 3 mirrorless cameras, where Sony's recording in, you know, regular uh, 8-bit video doesn't really have a touch. I mean, it has this, what they call a touch screen, but it's, it's just, an embarrassment. Just, That's what that you can, is. You can touch to focus. Yeah. You, you know, steps in. It's awful. But then by the EOS R, you got a full articulating touch screen and you got some better battery life, new controls. Granted, it was Canon's uh, first gen mirrorless camera so you also had some shortcomings there which make it seem like it's not a gen 3 mirrorless camera but then by the fall with the nikon z6 you have now the nikon camera that's out even though it's a, honestly nikon needs to be applauded for what they've done in the mirrorless camera space because with their first gen they are outputting 10-bit video uh and raw progress as well if you do a software update that you pay for and i mean i used the z6 and it was it took me a little bit to get used to Nikon's menu system, but the touchscreen interface, the controls, the battery life, really, that honestly would be where I'd switch, and I'm excited to see what Nikon would release with their real Gen 3 cameras since this, the Z6 and the Z7 were kind of their introductory to the uh, Gen 3. Yeah, I cameras. feel like Nikon has kind of been the underdogs here. Many shooters are typically talking Canon or they're talking Sony, but to your point, Nikon has been putting out very great, solid cameras yeah. Uh, for existing Nikon shooters or anyone uh, looking to get started in this space. So that's that's kind of just to give a little bit of a history and a background on the Sony a7 III. It, you know, obviously it came out before these other two cameras, but still it has held up surprisingly well. You know, I do miss, especially looking at the a7S III now, you know, not having a touchscreen, and there's a lot of other things that I don't like, but... Because Sony held off, honestly, they were planning originally on releasing the A7S III back in 2018 at some time or early 2019, and they held off because they were so much ahead of the competition. And what turned what was a budget camera, the Sony A7 III, really turned into a camera that kind of led the industry and basically took all the great features of the A7S II and packed them into a slightly updated body, better battery life, better autofocus, and a little higher megapixel count and the ability to punch in on uh, video with the APS-C mode. So yeah. that's, I, I haven't really got, to, I haven't really done a review of it, but I'll, I'll do, my, I mean, a quick review is basically, that I, I see a couple categories. Lens selection is Sony's gonna win out against the Nikon 
and Canon in this area. Way better lens selection. Uh, their autofocus, it's gotten a lot better compared to those other two cameras that came out that year, the Z6 and the EOS R. I think this would be probably actually better than those because of the, their, those are those companies' first-gen mirrorless cameras. Uh, menu system, obviously, Sony's still down in the trash, and the touchscreen they don't even have, so let's not mention that. You know, This is something Sony's really improved with their new camera. They came out with the A7S III. But image quality, though, this thing still holds up. You know, Granted, it's not 10-bit video, but the thing you have to remember is if you have an older uh, editing rig, if you have an older computer, and even if you do have some of the newest computers, I've heard from many people that editing that 10-bit 4K footage is awful, and you basically have to use proxies in Final Cut. Yeah, so this would be, I think this is for the newer HEVC footage that's at that uh, more efficient and compressed Well, well not, even, not even the HEVC, really? just, just the 10-bit 4K 120 uh, frame rate, that super high uh, quality footage. It's going to weigh down your system so much that you almost have to use proxies. Oh, we, we could we could see Final Cut and some of the computer software update to be able to handle it better, but that that's to be expected because it is such a high. You're going from like 200 megabits per second to 600. Yeah, it's a, it's a big leap. It's a big it's leap. A big for leap. Sure. But I think you know in 2020, even with the Sony A7S III out, like I said, if you have 3,500 or 4,000 dollars to allocate to a camera, and you know you are looking at Sony cameras. The A7 III is still a very enticing option. I think, as you mentioned earlier, you can invest in lights, better audio quality, and get some uh, different lenses for the same budget as an A7S III and really build out a very strong kit going into the year uh, to get started on YouTube or your, your, you know, whatever work you want to do. Well, even even for photography, too, I especially would say that, you know, the 24 megapixels of the A7 III is likely more enticing than the a7s 3s 12 megapixels granted the low light quality you'll get with the s3 is going to be off the charts for if you're doing astrophotography but i would say the 7.3 is still very good and you're saving a lot of money and you're still getting a lot of the same features and you can start investing in already your lens you know library or i don't know what you lens collection yeah you know so you could already start having a couple sony lenses and then eventually upgrade to the s3 down the road once it drops a little in price and you know becomes more standard i think yeah that's a that's a great i've actually been using the a7 III myself i got it as you mentioned for photography because it was mirrorless had silent shooting for events uh great autofocus a couple things i guess i wanted to mention is I think you mentioned this earlier, but you can punch in to shoot in APS-C mode. That's super helpful. The 4K is actually oversampled 6K footage because it is a 24 megapixel sensor, and that's Mm -hmm. just being downsampled to 4K, so it does look very sharp and very nice. Um, And other than that, it's like it's a great camera. The limit—I mean, do you have limitations you want to talk about? I'm—I feel like I've just gotten frustrated by this, so I want to mention it has. The thing I would say is is the touch screen and the fact that it doesn't have a fold-out screen. Yeah, so those are the main limitations I see. Those things have been bothering me. It's also got that 29 minute, 59 second recording limit. And so I've personally been recording and, and hit that and not realized, which has caused problems. I think I, that I, that's a very niche thing, but it is good to point out because some people do have, you know. When I'm shooting A roll, I'm talking and there's no flip out screen, maybe so I can't see if it's recording talk, or you not. You need to talk a little less, okay? <laughs> I need to be better at time yeah get it, it in the time so what i did to fix this is i got um 
a small HD monitor to put on top so I can see myself. But all of a sudden, when you're outputting footage to an external monitor, there is no face detect autofocus in 4K anymore. That's just gone. And when I'm outputting to the monitor, I still can't see the controls. I can't see if it's recording or not. So I didn't I didn't really solve that problem. I, I would say one thing that is my complaint is I know there's a new software update out for this camera, but I have not been able to actually do it because I've tried multiple times from my computer, hooking it up, doing all the, and it just, it's so counter, it does not work. You should be able to update it easily from the app in today's world. Oh, that's an so what I'm point. basically complaining because you can do that with GoPros. You can do that with even Bose headphones allow you to update from the app. That's so. amazing. Uh, I guess, Gabe, do you want to like round out the a7 III? It, I think it's a great option still, and it's a wonderful hybrid camera for photos and video. Uh, that's Yeah, you just summed it up right there pretty much. This is, this is one of the best Gen 2 mirrorless cameras out on the market. It's a very budget-friendly camera. I would say it compares actually very well with Can or Nikon's new Z5 uh, almost exactly on specs because that's a 24 megapixel camera as well but that's $1400 so that's a little cheaper and that does have the better touchscreen controls but if you're a Sony user this is a great option in 2020 even though it's a two-year-old camera and it still actually is cheaper than the a7s2 which I don't understand how that's a thing that it's like but there you go. E e to each their own you know, if you're so in the Sony camp firmly, you're going to like this camera. If you're in the Nikon camp, you probably will be like, why am I here? Why did I give up on those uh, those great menus? And if you're in the Canon camp, uh, stay in the Canon camp now because you got some good cameras coming your way. Yeah, sure. so I think, Gabe, that was, a, that was a great go review. I would typically end with a product. Do you, like, do you have a product for me to go out and review for the next episode? Yeah, I want you to review the Tesla Model Y. Okay. No. <laughs> I almost want to give that to you to review, but I feel like it probably wouldn't be fair to make you spend uh, $40,000. So what I will give you is the new, we now have three cell phone companies, main cell phone companies in the United States. Yes. You mentioned Sprint closed down. Yeah, they shut down. They're gone. I want you to give, I don't, I want you to, like, I want to limit you to three minutes. I almost feel like I want to give you some constraint because you always talk about cell phone reviews. I want it's you to true. boil down to an essence which one is the best. Okay. And I don't want you to I don't want you to hedge your bets. I don't want you to you know, I want you to come all out. Hold okay. no punches basically. You got it. That'll if be next up that. on Go Review. Yeah. And now I think we should just go right into the main topic. I think Gabe, you set up this segment so perfectly with your Go Review segment where you talked about the different generations of mirrorless cameras. We just hit Gen 3 of the mirrorless camera world. What to you, what does Gen 3 have? What are the defining characteristics of it? Yeah, just start with that. So I think the biggest thing for as a video user is you're getting 10-bit video in some form. Whether it's the ability to output 10-bit video or internally record it, you're getting that better uh, bit rate, higher bit rate and the better color pro, uh, quality uh, and codecs there. You're also getting the new HEVC and HEIF recording codecs, uh, which would be for video or photos. And you're getting, it looks like, full touch screens throughout, dual SD card slots for the because you have a lot bigger file sizes. Oh, and yeah. And potentially some new uh, mediums, whether it's CFast or or whatever they're going to use. So that I think that's the, the big things. Maybe I would also say 
um, well, the weird thing is sensor-wise, they're all pretty much the same. You're getting like backside illuminated sensors and stuff. Oddly, you know, we've talked about quad bear sensors a lot in the past. Yeah. Those aren't really making their way into this arena and into the pro area because they're, I see them mainly as a shortcut for cheaper cameras and, and drones that use small sensors to do HDR video. Whereas with these pro cameras, you can actually get HDR video th- you know the old-fashioned way because you have you can record 15 stops at any yeah, range you have like huge put a log uh, profile on it and to, boom. yeah to work with yeah so i think i think that's really good and the main leading cameras we have here are the a7s3 and the eos r5 so the sony and canon cameras i think that's what everyone's going to be well, talking about because those are the new ones that just came out yeah but, i mean you're forgetting the panasonic s1h i think yeah that's i that's like a netflix certified camera right that's that's the thing i, I mean granted these other two cameras just came out so maybe they could eventually be also netflix certified but those three cameras i think are we should see some huge battles on youtube with those three cameras because those are all under four thousand dollars and you know they're very comparable, but they all have their own strengths. Like Canon EOS R5, right? 8K video, raw, boom. boom. Like that's, a, that's insane. But you have the Sony camera is the only one that can do six, 16-bit output, I think. Yeah, 16-bit 16 raw bit output. raw to an external recorder. Like that's the Sony's the only one that can do that. Boom. Whereas the Panasonic is the only one that can do 6K and also is Netflix certified. So it's... Boom. Like, yeah, there's there these are ver- three very good cameras and you know, I wouldn't use the Panasonic to vlog cuz it's like 20,000 pounds. But also, you know, I wouldn't use the Sony A7S3 probably to take photos cuz it's pretty low megapixel. Well, I think I think we should talk about it. Let's I first of all, I want to talk about the announcement of these cameras. Yeah. Like how were they launched? This is the A7S3 and the EOS R5. EOS R5, I feel like someone on B&H was just like, "Should we go live?" Should we flip the switch? And then they clicked like publish, and all of a sudden, all the specs were just officially available. Did did Canon actually have an event? Do you remember? Didn't they? I I thought... I, I don't remember seeing an event. I just remember the camera was out and like being excited about it. Maybe that's was that what it was. I honestly can't remember. That was so recent, but it seems to have been erased from my memory. Well, that's the, the thing because I don't think it happened. I think it, it was didn't just happen. like yeah. Here it is, and they just published their website and all their pages. No, they did have an event. Sorry, they did. I watched it. Yeah, it was okay. an hour-long event about it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, was it... Was it... At, it was at 10 a.m. There wasn't... But like I said, like you said, kind of, it was, you know, basically, yeah, B&H, once they put out the specs, no one really cared about the event. And then yeah. uh, for Sony, they did a similar video live stream. What was funny is the pre-order went live during the live right stream. It went right at 10. Jeez. It went live. And, and I, I personally got about 10, 11 minutes into the live stream, and I was like, all right, I've seen enough. Let me prepare to this right now. And uh, what I thought was interesting is, to me, that live event sounded like an audiobook. Like, it just wasn't exciting at all. It was just, like, boring, dry well, it, it wasn't a live event. It was basically just they put out a video at 10. Yeah, well, it was so lame. Like, you should have watched the other creator videos out there because all these YouTubers also publish videos, like, right at that embargo time and those were so much more exciting to see and they had so much more information it was great anyway i, I, I thought question. It was, yeah do you kind of with this this is kind of a little bit off topic but do you like this the way that tech companies are now doing it where you know the right the moment that the product is released all of a sudden there's reviews up for it or no 
I love it. So here's here's my take. I love I love what Apple did with their keynote. I think that was like the best execution of a keynote. I love oh, I what Sony agree. did with their event where they they announced the product, the pre-orders went live, and all of the reviews went live. So all of a sudden, if you're someone like me thinking of pre-ordering, hmm, let me check out these reviews. All of the content I need is there so I can make my purchase decision. With Canon, See, yeah. I feel like they only allowed Canon ambassadors access to the pre-production model. And so I don't want to say they were biased, but I definitely feel like they highlighted the positive attributes of the camera much more than providing a more balanced review. Well, so, I thought they they rolled it out to some other people too. Yeah, well, they did. But I feel like initially, like those first okay. few videos to hit the internet... Whereas with Sony, it was just like full stops. Everyone uploaded their videos as soon as they could finish it or get it up. Or maybe they were trying to be strategic see, with it. See, so. I I tend to be like, I don't like that where the reviews are already up. I kind of w miss the days where, you know, a product would be announced and released. And then it would just be this huge wave of excitement. People going, oh, my God, and talking about, oh, I wonder how. Like, And you, you'd only have to go off what the company had told you. And then, you know, then the product would come out and... Right, it was usually right when the product was actually start shipping, like the like the iPhone would be released, right, and Apple would announce it, and everyone would be like, "Oh my God, it's coming out! It's shipping next week!" And then the day it started shipping, you'd get the new videos dropping of people of tech reviewers who had gotten you know first hands on uh, use of them and actually put out their reviews then. And I just like that space in between to kind of like a little bit of breathing. So you yeah, want to wait until September twenty fourth to get a seven S three reviews, or no? What if they put? What if they waited a week or two weeks or so, you know, like something a month drive before, another I don't know. wave of excitement? Yeah, I think that would have been kind of cool. I don't it, know. I just it just I seemed can, like a lot that it was it was the same exact time. It made the announcement feel like less of a thing, you know. I I mean, it was a pretty bland announcement. It was just reading yeah. specs. I guess I can understand where you're coming from. I appreciated being able to ingest gobs of content on this amazing camera uh but yeah so th that was kind of the announcement i think we should talk about sensors next because this is where canon and sony have gone with two very different strategies uh gabe you seem very keen on sony so maybe i can talk canon quickly yeah and what Canon's doing so what canon did is their camera the usr5 it can shoot 8k to achieve 8k shooting they equipped their camera with a brand new CMOS sensor so it's a 45 megapixel full frame sensor uh, and they're using a fine-tuned digic x image processor uh, to be able to process the images coming off of the sensor so brand new sensor they're not reusing i think the eos r6 is reusing uh, the sensor from the 1dx mark 3 so canon already kind of knew how to to use that sensor and operate it uh, but with the r5 boom brand new sensor and it seems to be performing quite well. What I thought was really interesting is with the R5, you get dual pixel autofocus 2 that has 100% sensor coverage. No other camera that I'm aware of currently has 100% sensor coverage. And then I think with Sony, Gabe, what did Sony do for their A7S 3 and, and what makes it so compelling? Well, I think, okay, so I know for the sake of this podcast and for the sake of like the, this showdown here that every you know pretty much every tech or camera reviewer is focusing on we're comparing the R5 and the A7S3 I however these cameras were never meant to be compared I would say because I think 
A, down the road, Canon is going to release a low-resolution video-focused uh, mirrorless camera. Maybe next year we'll see one. And then, so well, in kind of the opposite to that, I think Sony's going to release either an A7 or an A9 mirrorless camera, probably an A7R or something, or an A9 III, which will be their high-resolution 8K possibly enabled mirrorless camera. So that that will be the more like correct comparison. Yeah, I think I think that's a very interesting insight game. It's something the truth is I hadn't quite but, considered. But for the sake of this podcast, oh yes, these cameras are clearly head to head and the Sony is offering yeah, sure, you don't really need megapixels. I think megapixels are overrated Just in a lot of Just chuck them out the window. Honestly, yes, chuck them out the window. Get rid of them because what Sony is focusing on is getting that pixel size huge. I think it's 8.5 microns they have per pixel, which is huge. And actually, it, the surprising thing is it went down. F- I mean, the number of pixels on the sensor actually went down from the A7S2, which was, I think was 12.2, and this is now 12.1. Wow. So slightly went down. I, you, no, no one will ever notice, but just in case you want to know, yes, it did go down. So I think Sony is really doubling down on this, no uh, no pun intended, on this uh, whole idea that bigger pixel size is really important for video shooters because, especially people who are using mirrorless cameras, because they're not always going to be using them in a studio where there's good lighting and or reliable lighting, so they need that really good low-light quality. And I actually had a friend who shoots weddings, and he recently, you know, he had the A7S II, then he went to the A7III, and... He was like, he was with me waiting for that A7S3 to come out. And he finally was just like, I can't wait anymore. I I need to get, you know, get a, get a new camera system. I'm fed up with Sony. And so he went to the Fujifilm actually and got the X-T3. He got two of them and eventually was thinking to upgrade to the X-T4, which if people don't know, that's a micro four third sensor. So smaller sensor camera. And now the S3 is out and he was looking at some footage shot on. He's like, God, I really, I really miss having that good low light capability because that's something you give up with a smaller sensor size for sure. Yeah, and I think, you know, as a stills camera, I think Canon actually does a pretty good job on noise reduction. Um, but what's interesting is with the Sony, it's actually a dual... This hasn't been confirmed, but tests are indicating it is a dual native ISO sensor. So you're looking at a native ISO of 640 and then a second native ISO of 16,000. And do you want to explain what native ISO is? Yeah, so native ISO is the ISO that is designed to work with the camera's log profile for superior dynamic range that can be then graded in post-production. And what this means is if you're shooting at ISO 640, image looks sharp, crystal clear, clean. If you get into a low light scenario and you have to bump up the ISO, when you hit 16,000, all of a sudden the sensor, it's like something clicks and all of the noise that is in the image is cleaned up and you get a much sharper image even it's kind in a of dimmer I, the way i think of it is like shifting gears right you're you're in a car driving first gear your rpm keeps going up and up and up and then you shift back down to second gear right and that when you shift down that's when you get that new lower noise floor i think that's a great analogy so i don't that's, know I, I think i could work on it more <laughs> Uh, so that I mean, it's such a good low light sensor, and it's so good for video. And yeah, maybe maybe we should just instead of bashing these cameras head to head, like I feel like we should almost highlight their strengths because the A7S III is so good for video. You mentioned your friend, the the wedding filmer, wanted almost wants this again for video, 
Uh, what is the A7S III offering for video that just makes it so compelling for for YouTubers, for wedding filmmakers, or anyone looking to hit the record button? Well, uh, it offers the ability to have to hit that record button less because it offers that unlimited recording. So you won't have to, you know, some people I've heard set timers when they start recording so they know that three that. minutes are up. And it offers a flip around screen as well. So, you know, basically the A7S II might not be as flashy, or A7S III, sorry, might not be as flashy as the R5 with that, you know, the 8K raw foot. That just grabs your attention no matter 8K no raw, matter, boom, yeah. headline. No matter if you even have any use for that whatsoever or a rig that could edit that. But, you know, that is far more attention grabbing than, oh, we finally added that flip around touchscreen that everyone's been asking for. Or, hey, you know, we now have a full size HDMI port. Or basically, Sony, because this is their third iteration of this camera and they took so long on it, they really heard the user feedback and what people were asking for. And yes, they improved the video quality a ton by going to 10 bit. But like I've asked for over the time and time again, as we've talked about which sensor size matter or what are we going to want to see in the a7s3 or like we've, we've come across this so many times i basically said we want bigger pixels we don't actually care i don't actually care about 6k video you know i'd rather see 4k with 10 bit 422 and that's exactly what they gave us so really i think sony heard video users and really focused on video users with this camera by comparison canon yes that's still great video i actually think that you know for a lot of people who are shooting for example uh stuff for vfx where they really need that pixel quality or stuff that you want to potentially crop in and post yeah the canon stuff is going to be a lot better because you can shoot 8k or 6k you have a lot more information but it also you know isn't you know it, it's it's not necessarily going to be the thing that uh you, you notice a lot more right yeah, I guess what I would say is some interesting tests put Sony's 4K footage next to Canon's 4K footage. And in the standard mode where Canon isn't oversampling the image and taking that down, the Sony actually looked sharper. So what Sony has done is a really, really good job at creating sharp 4K, um, a sharp 4K image. Again, 10-bit 422, it looks gorgeous. And what Canon is doing is they have something that has the pixels and has the resolution and yeah, like maybe it'll work, uh, but really it's kind of limited by performance. And there's two aspects to this in my opinion. First, with Sony, you can record in all modes, all frame rates and all resolutions onto SD cards. The only mode you can't is the XAVC XI format in SNQ mode at 120 frames per second. So right out of the box, boom, you're able to use this yeah, it's new making tool. Yeah, making me think I maybe should not have ordered that CFast, uh, <laughs> yeah, that $400 CFast, you don't, you don't need the CFast card. CFast Type A card. Yeah, maybe I should cancel that. Um, but but no. on the other hand, with Canon, you actually need the CFast card to shoot 8K, to shoot 4K 120 frames per second. Um, and I, you might even need it for the 4K HQ mode, but I'm not sure about that. Um, so anyway, so... Needing the CFast Express to me is a limitation because I don't have those. And the other big one, uh, the elephant in the room, is the overheating issues. Gerald Dundon did a phenomenal job testing this. He has a spreadsheet. And really, for note, let me just highlight the no overheating. So you're going to have no overheating issues shooting at 4K 24 frames per second or 4K 24 frames per second with a crop. 
And that's on the Canon EOS R5. On the Canon EOS R5. Yep. See, and, so, that's, and that's what I think with most people, like the Canon EOS R5, I have a photography friend who she's, she isn't really excited about the Sony a7S three. She's not really also excited about the Canon uh, R5 because she's a Nikon and Sony user, but that's a different thing. But if she had to choose, I think she'd probably be more excited about the Canon camera because it's actually 45 megapixels. Yeah, so right? I think for a hybrid photo video shooter, Canon's offering an interesting option where you can do the 4K24 without overheating and you have a great 45 megapixel sensor uh, for shooting photos. So that could be a good combo. But for, I think, a lot of the YouTubers and more creative people, when you have the record limits on the higher frame rates that people are looking for, for B-roll, for cinematic sequences, for slow motion, that's when this camera can really hinder your performance. And not only that, like once the camera heats up and it just heats up naturally from shooting photos, from just being on, all of a sudden, these record times drop and the recovery periods are still very long. You have to wait like 20 minutes to shoot another five minute clip, which takes you out of that production flow. So I think with the R5, you have an interesting hybrid camera. Really, I think this camera's focus is photography though. Again, 100% sensor coverage with dual pixel autofocus and the 45 megapixels looks incredible. Gives you great options for crop, great Canon colors. I mean, it's just, it's a really, it's a really good. So basically, system. basically what we're saying is we'll have to revisit this in about a year's time when Sony releases their high resolution competitor to the R5, and Canon releases their ro- low resolution video focused competitor to the A7S3. Right? I think that's a great summary. I mean, yeah. as of right now, we have a great stills photography camera, and we have a great video camera, and depending on your needs, you already know which one you should get. Yeah, um, and hold on, we still also have Panasonic out there. Remember, they GH6. were one of the original. Yeah, they were one of the original starters of the mirrorless movement with their GH camera, the GH two, the GH three, GH four. Then obviously, you guys know how numbers work. GH seven, no, <laughs> GH five. Then they had the GH five S, which was kind of like a slight iteration. And now we've been waiting a good while for the GH six. Hopefully, it'll be out before the end of the year. And what will be interesting with this is we'll likely see 8K easily on this camera. I would almost guarantee we'll see an 8K resolution video recording because it's a smaller sensor. It can Maybe not. handle it, yeah. Maybe We might not, but we it will also 6K. see su- super high frame rate is the guarantee. Like we'll see 4K probably, I would almost, I would say 200 frames a second is pretty easy to say that we'll see because I think they already were able to do, was it 1080p at 180 I think you're GH5S. right. Yeah, that's exactly correct. 1080p so, at 180 frames per second. Yeah, so I think they'll probably do probably 1080p at 400, 4K at 200. And, and for context, yeah. the GH5 launched in 2017 in January. Right, so yeah. it's been out for so long ahead of all of these cameras that we just got that are now full frame, finally able to do similar specs. I really, I mean, it's a great time to be into photo, a great time to be into video. And yeah, it's just and it's I think the it's clear with these cameras that mirrorless uh, cameras are probably the way to go and are probably the thing of the future. When do you think DSLRs will die out? I think DSLRs are pretty much already dead. Yeah, I I think you're actually right. Like I th- I well I think there are still some good uses for them. They still have I still think better autofocus. It's getting very close to this point, but. 
they still are, you know, it's edging out. I think we'll still continue to see likely DSLRs on either end of the spectrum. We'll see budget-friendly DSLRs and we'll see high-end DSLRs. We won't see that mid-range anymore I'm, I'm, is what I'm probably going to guess. But that, that maybe, you know, I'm not 100% sure on that. I do think by 2030, we probably won't be seeing DSLRs. Easily by 2030. I'd even say 2025. I think, okay. honestly, the 1DX Mark III from Canon might be their last DSLR. Like, I think it's some of the pros still enjoy the DSLR shooting, how that feels. You know, that's fine. So I think that camera was for them. Like, they have something to upgrade to. And now, I don't know, you don't really, you don't really need it. I think they probably will. They don't want to lose people, so they're going to try to slowly shift their users over to mirrorless, right? Yeah, I think that's the move. And mirrorless has a lot of benefits. Like you can look through the viewfinder, and boom, you see your exposure of live as the image looks. And you can overlay a lot of cool and useful tools, such as focus peaking and a histogram and uh, zebras. So yeah, it's. I don't know. I think mirrorless is a good world to be in. I've been enjoying it, and yeah, I guess Gabe. I feel like we you should don't kinda... you don't have any mirrors in your room. Is that what uh, you that explains. I, yeah, that you have some you have some food on your face. Oh explains. no! Oh no! How long has that been there? Yeah, so I think you might need some more mirrors, is what maybe potentially, but well, for the average uh, for person, maybe mirrorless is the way to go. I think uh, to kind of wrap this up, which which camera are you getting? Do we even need to ask? <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. Uh, so. It ships, it ships in how many hours? <laughs> too many. Far too many, Gabe. Far You're too many hours. September 24th is the ship date for the A7S III, and the EOS R5 is actually now available, so you can go out and buy one if you're Wait, what? primarily a photographer. What? I, I think I'm going to switch now because I'm all about instant gratification. <laughs> hey, I mean, you, could, and the, you can the thing we're not The thing we're not mentioning, though, is the EOS R6, which is kind of a very competitive... Uh, competitor, <laughs> you know, uh, my grammar is incredible today. Impeccable, to, senor. Yeah, to the Z6 and the A7 III. It's more expensive, yes, but it does offer some features that you're getting with the Gen 3 cameras. That, Or, uh, yes, I said the A7 III was Gen 3, but this is kind of like the fully-fledged, fully-realized and actualized Gen 3 cameras where they're having the 10-bit output, right? I think that has 10-bit. Yeah. I'm not positive, but yes, I'm pretty sure. And it has, you know, a lot better autofocus and such stuff like that. So I, I would wait on that, though, if you're kind of on the fence. The price almost guaranteed to drop down. I would I would expect Sony or Canon will get that down to around 2300 2200 by Black Friday with some deals. So keep an eye on that. But, yeah, that's I can confirm. That's pretty much it. I, I will you're, say with the R6, uh, yeah. all recording modes on that camera besides 1080p have limits. So if you're shooting 4K, there is a time limit. But like, a, but yeah, for for some people that's not a huge deal, and they literally record like at you know if you're shooting just like yeah you're recording less than ten minutes most times. You know? I don't know. I I started out on Canon. I feel like their mirrorless or excuse me their DSLRs, the 70D, the 80D, they were so good, and I loved them so much, and I loved their menus and their touch screens, and I wanted to go back. And Sony just uh, they they take the cake. They checked all the boxes. They made the camera the people wanted, they listened, and I think that's important to recognize. So I applaud Sony for what they did, and I encourage Canon to, you know, come along, little fella, you got this. Next gen, next camera, you can make it. And so I'm rooting for them. 
Either way, I think that's going to be it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can find us, Pinch to Zoom Pod on Twitter, Pinch to Zoom Podcast on Instagram. Please consider leaving us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Help support the show. And yeah, that's going to be it. I'm Stetson. I'm Gabe. And we look forward to talking to you in the next episode. You just broke your bike stand sometimes. <laughs> that's how we should start the podcast. <laughs> no, I think it's going to get us an explicit rating if we do it like that. Yeah, uh, it's too bad we have to use it as the hard, uh, cold, I mean, cold close instead of a cold open. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess so. Because then no one hears this. Thank you.